Well, tonight I'd like to talk about right effort. And as a starting point, I want to share uh, this quote from the Mujaman Nikaya, the Middle Link Discourses, Sutta 19. The Buddha says, Before my enlightenment, while I was still only an unenlightened bodhisattva, it occurred to me, Suppose that I divide my thoughts into two classes. Then I set on one side thoughts of sensual desire, thoughts of ill will, and thoughts of cruelty. And I set on the other side thoughts of renunciation, thoughts of non-ill will, and thoughts of non-cruelty. We can generalize these two classes that the Buddha was using as the unwholesome or unskillful thoughts that lead to unsatisfactoriness and suffering and the wholesome or skillful thoughts that lead to generosity, kindness, harmony, and inner and outer peace. In this simple way of dividing thoughts, the Buddha was introducing an ethical dimension into practice, the wholesome and the unwholesome. When we pay attention to our own lives and the lives of those around us, we have a lot of data for discerning what is unwholesome and what is wholesome. But we also have another resource to turn to. In the Abhidhamma, the early Buddhist text that um, analyzes our world of experience down to its most basic fundamental components, the Abhidhamma divides our mental factors up into unwholesome ones and wholesome ones. The Abhidhamma lists 14 unwholesome mental factors. I won't explore all of them tonight. But some crucial ones. The Abhidhamma categorizes four of the unwholesome mental factors as universal unwholesome factors. This means that whenever an unwholesome state arises into consciousness, these other four universal um, unwholesome states are also present. The first of these is the quality of delusion, moha in the Pali language. Another word that's sometimes used to refer to this same general quality is ignorance. Delusion is the quality of not seeing clearly, not knowing clearly the way things truly are. Elsewhere in the suttas, they talk about there being four kinds of misperceptions. Taking the impermanent to be permanent. Taking what's unsatisfactory to be satisfactory. Taking what is not self or conditional to be self. And taking what is unattractive or non-attractive to be attractive. When we misperceive these qualities, it leads to our getting caught in uh, a lot of greed, a lot of hatred, and a lot of suffering.
Delusion is categorized as one of the three root unwholesome states, sometimes referred to as the three poisons. We chip away at delusion little by little as we do our practice until we're fully awakened, at which point there is no more delusion. The next two universal and wholesome qualities are interrelated. They are lack of shame over our verbal and bodily deeds and lack of fear of or lack of dread of wrongdoing. When we lack shame and dread, we tend to do things that are harmful, things that lead to suffering for ourselves or others. I want to take just a moment to differentiate between shame and guilt. Shame is that basic uh, quality of feeling bad when we've done something that's unskillful, unwholesome, something that was harmful to ourselves or others. Guilt, on the other hand, is the experience we have when we identify with shame. So we're adding another layer of unwholesomeness, delusion, on top of the, the sense of shame that we're experiencing over things that we've done. One doesn't become completely free of lack of shame or lack of fear of wrongdoing, again, until one is fully awakened. And then the fourth of the universal unwholesome qualities, the ones that are always there whenever there's any kind of unwholesome state in the mind or the heart, is the factor of restlessness. The quality of agitation in the mind or sometimes in the body. One expression of restlessness is when the thoughts just won't stop coming even though we're trying to settle the mind down. Planning mind, worry about things we did in the past or things that might happen in the future. All of these kinds of thoughts are an expression of restlessness. Maybe some of you have experienced a little bit of that today. Restlessness is also one of the five hindrances, the unwholesome qualities that interfere with our ability to concentrate the mind, to focus the mind. Restlessness can be temporarily suppressed as the mind becomes uh, has more continuous mindfulness and concentration becomes stronger. But restlessness really isn't overcome completely, once again, until the final stage of awakening. So we all have an opportunity to get quite acquainted with it. So as I mentioned, delusion is one of the three root unwholesome states. The other two are greed and hatred. The three are regarded as root states because really all of the other unwholesome states can be reduced or found within them. 
And this reference to them as roots uh, suggests an analogy to a tree that, you know, you cut, cut the tree down, but the roots are still there. And so new little trees sprout up once again. And in the same way, as long as these three unwholesome roots are present, then unwholesome qualities will continue to arise in our minds. So they have to be um, fully uprooted themselves for us to finally be free of unwholesome states. Greed includes all the varieties of sensual desire, longing, attachment, and clinging. It's characterized by grasping, by trying to hold on to an object. And this is one of the ways that we can know that greed is present. When we get that sense that we're trying to hold on to something. That's something we can investigate and see, even if it's not clear that greed is present. In the form of sense desire, greed is also classified as one of the five hindrances. We get caught in greed when we have wanting mind. Just wanting the mind to settle down so I can have a nice, calm meditation. Or fantasizing about getting another big chunk out of that luscious chocolate bar. (laughs) And on and on it goes. So we talk about greed in terms of sense desire. There's this word desire in there. And uh, sometimes it gets a little confusing because we talk about you know, desiring to awaken, desiring to be mindful. And uh, we talk about letting go of desire in the sense of sense desire. But if we only say desire, then well, does that mean I'm not supposed to have this desire to awaken? How how do we make sense of that? And one of the one of the things that I think helps make it clearer is when we talk about our wholesome desires in terms of aspirations. This is a quality that we aspire to develop. With our aspirations, we don't have to have any kind of clinging involved to it. It's just an intention that can guide our actions, guide our practice. Of course, we can cling to our aspirations as well, which is a good way to get frustrated. Greed is said to be uh, weakened at the second stage of awakening. At the third stage of awakening, greed for sensual experiences is said to be uh, destroyed. And then at final awakening, greed for uh, very pleasant, fine uh, mental states like we might experience in deep states of concentration, that is overcome at that stage. So it's kind of a developmental process, overcoming greed. And the third root unwholesome, as I mentioned, is hatred. It includes all kinds and intensities of aversion, ill will, anger, irritation, annoyance, 
animosity. Hatred is also one of the five hindrances, usually referred to there as aversion. The Abhidhamma says that the function of hatred is to spread or to burn up its own support. And I like that because I think it really captures some of what the experience is when we're caught up in hatred ourselves. It just kind of burns us up inside. It, it can destroy us. Like greed, hatred is said to be weakened at the second level of awakening. And then at the third stage, it's completely overcome. So the point of this isn't that we should remember a list of um, unwholesome states or that we should simply divide our thoughts into these two categories. We do this to help us learn to work with these qualities of our minds and heart. And the Buddha has told us that there's two things that we should do with the unwholesome. One generates desire for the non-arising of unarisen, bad, unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies one mind, and strives. And... One generates desire for the abandoning of arisen, bad, unwholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies one's mind, and strives. These are two of the four forms of right effort. Generating desire for the non-arising of unarisen unwholesome states, generating desire for the abandonment of arisen unwholesome states. How do we keep these from arising? And what do we do with them if they have? In another sutta, Majjhima Nikaya 20 on the removal of distracting thoughts. The Buddha describes five steps for dealing with an unwelcome, unwholesome states. First, he says, when one is giving attention to some sign and owing to that sign there arise in one evil, unwholesome thoughts connected with desire with hate, and with delusion. Then one should give attention to some other sign connected with that which is wholesome. The word sign here is a way of describing the characteristics that allow us to perceive the things that we encounter. So it may be the sign or the characteristic of an apple or of a sensation of heaviness, or of an angry thought, or a lustful thought. There's certain characteristics that we perceive, that we go, oh, this is an angry thought. So the first step that the Buddha is recommending is that we recognize the presence of an unwholesome thought. The ability to recognize when this is happening depends on three things. What's called wise attention. Yoniso Manasikara in the Pali. Attention guided by a clear understanding. Clear understanding of what is unwholesome 
and what is wholesome. The second quality that allows us to recognize when these are present is a certain strength of mindfulness so that we can simply recognize what's coming into the mind, what is here now. And the third quality is having enough concentration to keep attention focused long enough to actually recognize what's here. When we do recognize that unwholesome thought is present, the Buddha is telling us to simply give attention to something that's wholesome. This is actually what we do again and again and again throughout the day in our meditation practice. We're sitting here following the breath or some other uh, object of meditation. And then all of a sudden we notice that the mind has wandered off into maybe thoughts about that piece of chocolate. We're lost in greed and delusion. But then there's a moment of mindfulness. We wake up and we we recognize that that's what's happened. And in the next moment, we establish, we turn to another moment of mindfulness by going back to our object of meditation with mindfulness once again. Other things that we can turn to are reflecting on our virtuous deeds, our virtuous activities. Or perhaps reflecting on the ways that we've practiced renunciation. Or maybe engaging in thoughts of metta or goodwill. So that's the first thing that we should try to do with unwholesome states. If that wasn't enough to dislodge our attention from the unwholesome state, the Buddha suggests, then one should examine danger in those thoughts thus. These thoughts are unwholesome. They are reprehensible. They result in suffering. So reminding ourselves of the consequences of being entangled with the unwholesome thought. This often involves remembering what happened to us in the past when we entertained a similar thought like that. Just remembering the suffering that comes from it. Reminding ourselves also that this is an unworthy thought may bring up the qualities of shame or fear of wrongdoing, which can be a support for breaking away from the thought. But if the unwholesome thought persists, the next step is then one should try to forget those thoughts and not give attention to them. So just consciously, purposefully turning attention away. In other words, distracting ourselves from the unwholesome, giving ourselves something wholesome to do or at least something ethically neutral that we can do. We might turn to counting our breaths. We might turn to counting our steps as we're walking. If we're not formally practicing, we might fold the laundry or chop vegetables. Anything to take our thoughts away from the unwholesome. 
But if the unwholesome thought persists, the Buddha tells us, then one should give attention to still the thought formation of those thoughts. What does this mean? This is a process of investigating what is it that keeps this thought going? What is it that keeps this thought coming back again and again? So one way of doing this is to rely on what we know of the second noble truth. That craving and clinging leads to unsatisfactoriness and suffering. So, am I clinging to this thought? Or how am I clinging to this thought? Just examining it, seeing if we can notice that clinging is occurring. And sometimes seeing that is enough to break free of the unwholesome thought. If not, we can continue investigating. One of the things that keeps us entangled is reactivity to the feeling quality of a moment of experience. We tend to react by trying to hold on or push away. That kind of reactivity is a form of clinging. And so if we're reacting to the feeling quality of the unwholesome thought, that reactivity to the feeling may be what's giving it energy to come back again and again. So we investigate in this way. But if even that is not enough to break free from the unwholesome thought, the Buddha recommended, with one's teeth clenched and one's tongue pressed against the roof of one's mouth, one should beat down, constrain, and crush mind with mind. This is the last thing he tells us to do, not the first one. I've heard Analio Bhikkhu, a contemporary uh, Buddhist teacher, refer to this as putting on the emergency brake so that you don't crash. You know, you don't, you don't use the emergency brake until it's the last resort. Now, if we think that we have to perfectly, permanently let go of all of our unwholesome thoughts, it can seem pretty overwhelming. Probably pretty impossible. But all we have to do is do this one moment at a time and to remember to do it when we forget. I'd like to read, in closing this section on the unwholesome, some other words from the Buddha. This is from the Anguttara Nikaya, the Numerical Discourses, Book 2, Sutta 19. Abandon the unwholesome. It is possible to abandon the unwholesome. If it were not possible to abandon the unwholesome, I would not say, abandon the unwholesome. If this abandoning the unwholesome led to harm and suffering, I would not tell you to abandon it. But because the abandoning of the unwholesome leads to welfare and happiness, I say, abandon the unwholesome. So abandon the unwholesome.
Of course, the Buddha also taught, taught us about sorting thoughts into the wholesome category. The Abhidhamma lists, as I said, 14 unwholesome mental factors. It lists 25 wholesome mental factors. I find that encouraging, that there's more wholesome ones than there are unwholesome ones. It's like, you know, the deck is really stacked in our favor if we just work with it a bit. The wholesome factors are in the Abhidhamma broken down into four separate groups. The biggest of the groups is called the universal wholesome factors. So in the same way as the universal unwholesome ones, whenever there's a wholesome quality in the mind, then these other, these 19 wholesome qualities are there to some degree, maybe just a little bit, or maybe a lot. Maybe a few of them are there fairly strongly and the other ones are kind of weak, but they're all there. And just as the Buddha offered instructions for dealing with the unwholesome, he offered instructions for the wholesome. He said that there's two things we need to do. One generates desire for the arising of unarisen, wholesome states. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies one's mind, and strives. And one generates desire for the persistence of arisen, wholesome states, for their non-decline, increase, expansion, and fulfillment by development. One makes an effort, arouses energy, applies one's mind, and strives. So these are the two other forms of right effort. How do we develop these? How do we maintain these? In the Majjhimanakaya 103, we find the Buddha saying, So bhikkhus, these things I have taught you after directly knowing them. That is, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four right kinds of striving, the four bases of spiritual power, the five faculties, the five powers, the seven enlightenment factors, the noble eightfold path. In these things, you should all train in concord with mutual appreciation without disputing. These various practices that the Buddha listed have come to be known as the 37 requisites for enlightenment, the 37 requisites for awakening. If you go through each of the lists and count the components of them, and then you add all of them together, it turns out the number is 37. So that's where the 37 comes from. These factors don't just arise in a linear progression. As one practices, they, they interact, they feed on each other, they strengthen each other, they uh, give each other support, they depend on each other. So as one becomes stronger, then the others begin to become stronger as well. Out of the lists, out of the 37 requisites, I want to talk about two lists tonight. The five spiritual faculties and the seven factors of awakening. They seem to encompass most of the wholesome qualities 
that are included in um, the Abhidhamma, the ones that really pertain to our meditation and the development of our minds. So even though this isn't a linear process, we have to start someplace. And so we start with faith. Other translations for the Pali word for faith are trust or confidence. Faith is one of the five spiritual faculties. And it's classified in the Abhidhamma as one of the universal wholesome mental factors. Now, there are two kinds of faith. There's what's called blind faith. We don't have any experience with anything, with something. We don't have any experience with the practice. But we hear about it, and we just have this hope that it will be helpful to us. And so we begin practicing. This is blind faith. We really don't have anything to go on other than just this blind hope that it will be helpful. But as we practice, we begin to see for ourselves that, oh, this really does work. This really is helpful. If, if I do this, I really do start feeling calmer, more present with my life, more at ease with things. This is the quality that's called verified faith. So from verified faith, when we have verified faith, actually even with blind faith, when we start with faith, that arouses the factor of energy. This energy to do something, energy to actualize this faith that we have. And most often in our practice, it's energy to develop mindfulness, to be more mindful. Of course, in the Abhidhamma, mindfulness is one of the universal wholesome factors. So that means that each time you're being mindful, there's all these other qualities there as well. Being developed as you're strengthening the quality of mindfulness. That includes qualities of metta or goodwill, benevolence, loving kindness, <clears throat> and the quality of equanimity. <clears throat> Mindfulness is said to have the characteristic of not wobbling. When we're paying attention with mindfulness, certainly with a continuity of mindfulness anyway, attention stays pretty steady on our object. We're not wobbling off and on, off and on, off and on. So it has that characteristic. Another way of talking about that is that mindfulness helps us to remember what our object of attention should be, what we're trying to pay attention to. So we keep remembering, oh, I'm supposed to be paying attention to the breath, or I'm supposed to be paying attention to the sensations in my feet as I'm doing walking meditation. Mindfulness is the middle factor in the five spiritual faculties. It's the factor that balances the other four. It allows us to see when they're out of balance and 
to uh, figure out then what it is we need to do to balance it. Mindfulness is the first of the seven factors of awakening. And of course we cultivate it, as I think Shaila mentioned this morning, by bringing mindfulness to the body, bringing mindfulness to the feeling state of the things that we're having contact with, bringing mindfulness to our mind states, to our emotions, and bringing mindfulness to really to the way our minds work, to the way they function, and especially to the way that they work in terms of leading us either into the unwholesome or into the wholesome. Some of you may recognize these four as the four foundations of mindfulness. So by doing the four foundations of mindfulness, by working with them, we strengthen and cultivate this wholesome factor of mindfulness. As mindfulness begins to be established and gets stronger, there's often a quality of curiosity that arises about what it is we're giving attention to. What is this that I'm seeing here? What is this? The word that's normally used for this in the seven factors of awakening is investigation. The factor of investigation arises and it works along with mindfulness to allow us to see, to understand more clearly what it is we're paying attention to. Investigation happens to be one of the qualities of wisdom also. And of course, wisdom is one of the five faculties. Wisdom is the, f- the faculty that actually balances faith. So, you know, if we are caught up in blind faith, mindfulness can help us to develop some wisdom so that we balance it out, developing some verified faith. Verified faith would be kind of a a balance of those two. As we investigate, it gives rise to more energy and effort. As mindfulness, effort, and investigation lead to our becoming more intimate with our lives. Someone spoke in our practice group today about walking outside and seeing this miraculous spider web. And that's one of the things that happens as we start paying more and more attention to what is happening right here, right now in our lives. We find that there's very, very many precious things that we're experiencing in our lives that we've been missing. As we begin seeing these things more, joy arises. It's joyful to see some of these things. Of course, as we do this practice, it's not all pleasant things that we see. We open up and begin to see some unpleasant things in our lives as well. You can't have one without the other. They go together. But as we stop struggling with the things that are difficult, 
and we really allow ourselves to see clearly, oh, this is what it is, there's very often a quality of joy in just seeing this is what's true right now. It's This is suffering. That's what's happening right now. Suffering is occurring. This is what suffering feels like. Aha! You know, so there, there's, there's a little joy with that, even though it's hard. Because joy is pleasant, there's more energy and more motivation to keep practicing. Mindfulness then continues to become stronger. The continuity of mindfulness grows. And as this happens, these other wholesome qualities are growing too. And that quality of restlessness, that unwholesome quality of restlessness, begins to be temporarily suppressed. We begin, the mind, the body begin to feel more calm, more tranquil. This is the factor of awakening called tranquility. The continuity of mindfulness along with the calmness of tranquility and the pleasantness that comes from both joy and tranquility supports the mind being less and less distracted. It helps the mind, creates a basis for the mind to become more unified, more focused. In other words, more concentrated. And of course, concentration is one of the five spiritual faculties. And it's the sixth of the seven factors of awakening. The continuity of mindfulness and the strengthening of concentration steadies the mind and the heart. It allows us to directly confront, to be more present with everything that's coming up in our lives. Pleasant and unpleasant. Meeting them deeply without falling in to grasping or pushing away greed or aversion. We just have more and more of a capacity to be with things as they are. This is the development of the seventh of the factors of awakening, equanimity. In the Abhidhamma, this factor is referred to uh, by a different name. In English, it's generally translated as neutrality of mind, pointing to, to the kind of balance that's there. Interestingly enough, the literal translation of the Pali term, the Pali term is Tatra Maja Hat, hat it's a tongue twister, Tatra Maja Tata, is there in the middleness. It's the ability to stand in the middle of the stream and not get swept away. So at this point, there's a very solid ability to be with our experience and to see it just as it is. We may actually experience, directly experience and know the impermanence, the unsatisfactoriness, the not-self nature of the moments of our experience as they come and go.
seeing this is part of the development of the faculty of wisdom. And wisdom, of course, is the factor that ultimately leads to our awakening. Awakening to the true nature of our life. To breaking free from being entangled with all the unwholesome mental states. From breaking free from unsatisfactoriness and suffering. Now, we don't have to memorize all these wholesome factors either. We don't have to make each of them happen. There's a natural flow, a natural development that occurs, but we have to get the ball rolling and we have to keep it rolling. In other words, we have to make right effort. So I'd like to close with two quotes from the Buddha. The first is the parallel to the last quote on unwholesomeness. The Buddha said, develop the wholesome. It is possible to develop the wholesome. If it were not possible to develop the wholesome, I would not say, Develop the wholesome. But because it is possible to develop the wholesome, I say, develop the wholesome. If this developing of the wholesome led to harm and suffering, I would not tell you to develop it. But because the developing of the wholesome leads to welfare and happiness, I say, develop the wholesome. And as a reminder to keep practicing right effort because whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon, that becomes the inclination of our minds. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.